All right, so you may have heard a saying like this. Money can't buy happiness, but it sure can make you awfully comfortable. Right? Have you heard that? It speaks to the power of money. Many people in our culture affirm this saying. They'll say, okay, money can't buy the happiness, but it can make you happy, kind of. Even our culture struggles with this. My father-in-law said something the other night. I was just like taken aback by this. You know, it's kind of like, yeah, money can't do this, but I'd like to find out for myself. Like he said something like that. All right. But on the other hand, our culture affirms, yeah, yeah, money really can't buy happiness at the end of the day, yet it is ingrained in you as an American that you spend most of your waking hours working. There are many people even choose, even though this is a Sunday and they work a Monday through Friday, they're tempted to replace what should happen on a Sunday with work. We've all been tempted towards that. The reason for this is this drive of the Americana into you, this belief that you must pursue money if you want to make yourself safe and comfortable and secure in this life, and if you want to be able to pass that on to those that you love. You see what I'm saying? This really, therefore, drives down to the meaning of words. And you know that I'm so, I try to be so particular and intentional about the words that I use with you. Because what does it really mean to be comfortable in this life? I mean, really. I mean, modern AC is recent, right? So were all the people before the invention of AC uncomfortable? And then we can apply and apply and apply. What does it really mean to be comfortable in this life? What does it really mean to be secure in this life? Does having a, just one other zero in your bank account really going to make you feel more safe and secure and comfortable? Does this mean that the majority of the world, who does not have as many zeros as you do today, does this mean that those who have less money are less safe, less comfortable, and less secure in this life. Today, we're going to look at the wisdom of Solomon through the Proverbs to explore whether this is really true. And you will see time and time again that unfortunately, the culture that we live in, that Americana spirit, is not the gospel spirit. Is life really this simple? And the answer is no. I mean, this has been one of the tenets of Solomon throughout Proverbs. Life is far more complex than what our culture tells us. It's much more beautiful, and it's much more broken. Life is not more money equals more safety, more security, more comfort. Life is more God, more safety. More God, more comfort. More God, more security. So if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to pursue someone or something so you can feel safe, feel secure, feel comfortable. Don't you want to pursue the best of all things? Okay, good. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Let's get to our proposition. What I believe that Solomon wants to teach us today, collectively, in those, that grouping of Proverbs, and we'll do step two next week. We'll continue this idea about wealth next week. But here's the idea, is that the wise enjoy God over wealth. 
as the source of ultimate security in this life. Now, can you see how even this statement supposes that wealth plays some relevance in your life? Right? But it's God over wealth. It's God as the source. It's God as the ultimate security. That does not mean we cannot enjoy wealth. We cannot enjoy wealth as a source and a source of security. It's just not ultimate. Okay? Let's jump in. When Proverbs speaks to wealth, they want us to understand that wealth has a role to play in this life. It just isn't the source of our security. God is the source of our security. And Proverbs consistently teaches us about two kinds of people. And you should already know them by now. There's the wise, and then there's the, the fool or the foolish. Yes, correct. What sets the wise and the fool apart is your answer to this question. It doesn't matter if you believe that you're a Christian or not. The answer to this question determines if you're wise or you're a fool. Whose heart and whose understanding are you going to trust in? Are you going to lean on in this life? God's heart and understanding or your heart and understanding? Right? That answer will determine if you're wise or foolish. And then it gets even more difficult because it's God's understanding or God's heart versus my understanding of my heart on family, on money, on marriage, on raising kids, on end-of-life issues. You have a choice to make this morning. Are you going to lean on yourself or are you going to lean on the creator of the mountains? Right? For two weeks, we looked at the heart and the final analysis was, it's too complex for you to handle on your own. It is bittersweet, the experiences of this life. And you can't do it alone. So you are going to lean on someone or something. It's just that the Bible believes that God alone is the best one to lean on. All of us are going to lean on something. And whatever it is that you lean on, that is your functional God. That is. So we are all theists to a degree. It's just reveals who we actually hold as the God of our hearts. Now, the wise accept this. The fool rejects this. So what's the difference between these two kind of people? Solomon says time and time again throughout Proverbs, the difference is whether you fear the Lord. So whatever topic that we look at in the Proverbs, if you don't fear God, you're going to reject his word and his heart about the topic, including wealth today. So here's what we're going to do. One, we're going to look at the difference between trusting in wealth and trusting in God. We are going to see that God actually, one of the reasons why God created wealth is to give you a gauge to help you look at and see where your heart is today. Right? Isn't that what gauges do? Speedometers let you know right now what speed you're at. The presence or lack of wealth in your life is a gauge to show you your heart. It's going to show you what you ultimately trust in. And then we're going to see that Proverbs will call on you today to trust in God's word over wealth. Our almighty God brings more enjoyment to the Christian than the almighty dollar. And we're going to see that wealth, in fact, is not the greatest indicator of your success in this life and the greatest gauge of your security. 
if we think about it, Jesus didn't own anything, right? He was a carpenter's boy. He depended on the donations of others later on in his life and ministry, as pastors do, right? So finally, we're really going to see, therefore, if it's not wealth, what does it really mean to flourish in this life? That's today. You ready? All right, let's do it. Point one. We're going to see God's presence and promises as the greatest sign of security. The reason why you and I believe or struggle in America that wealth is the greatest indicator is because in England, right around the time of our settling, a man named Adam Smith wrote something called The Wealth of Nations. And he talked about this thing called the invisible hand. That the invisible hand that provides the presence and the security of whatever for our lives is actually wealth. And that's why you believe this. That's why America believes this. You can blame England, right? In our culture, unfortunately, wealth is used as a measurement of success. It makes you feel like you're high class, mid class, or low class, right? Not necessarily your zip code, but how much money is in your bank account? As a Christian in America, you are tempted time and time again to believe more money equals more security. And less money equals less security. That's terrible math. It is terrible math and economics. Life is far more complex than this because I have met, including members of my own literal family, who are secure financially, but they are some of the most anxious and insecure people that I know. On the other hand, I've met people who you would say they are not financially stable. They are not financially successful. But here's the ironic thing. They are some of the most secure people, comfortable people that I know. Why is this? Why is this? Because for the Christian, wealth is not the greatest sign of your security. The cross is. The wisdom of Proverbs is wealth pales in comparison to God's presence and his word and his wisdom through his son, Christ Jesus. Now let's look at our first proverb, Proverbs 15, 16. Solomon says, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and turmoil with it. We have to see so we can hear, so we can really hear Solomon's counsel on wealth. Do you see this? Treasure brings turmoil, right? More money, more problems, we say in America. Wealth brings woes. And God does this intentionally. And he lets us know great treasure is going to bring turmoil with it. God does this in part to provide to you a gauge for your own life, a gauge for your heart, your true self, to help you see what's really going on inside of you. So let's apply this for a moment. The past couple weeks, we've been looking a lot at Jesus with Mary of Bethany and his disciple, Judas Iscariot. He's going to recall some of our conversations on Wednesday nights. Wealth is a gauge that demonstrated Mary's heart and Judas's heart, right? Solomon's counsel 
and Jesus' teaching are in alignment. Mary had a vial of costly perfume. Final week of Jesus, before his betrayal, trial, crucifixion, death, resurrection. And she did not use this perfume for herself, which would be America's counsel to you, right? Right, that, that little thing pops down on an airplane, you put it on yourself first and then others, right? That's how we're taught. It's ingrained, me before we. She didn't use it for others. That's what made Judas upset, apparently. She used it to express her affection for Jesus, right? She used it to anoint Jesus for his upcoming death. Judas sees this. Judas watches Mary, anoints his feet with oil, wipe it up with her hair and tears, and it brought out his heart as well. He felt Mary's expression was a waste. Now, he vocalizes to everybody that she should have sold it in the market, used the proceeds to give to them so they can continue the ministry to the poor. That sounds awesome, doesn't it? I mean, 300 denarii could do a lot of good to the poor in first century Jerusalem. Jesus addressed what Judas was saying, right? He addressed the emotions inside of Judas. And Judas' word, I mean, Jesus' word to Judas brought out this resentment in Judas. For Jesus, that was already present in his heart. Because John tells us that he pilfered the money box all the time. The experience and the expression of wealth proved Mary to be wise and Judas to be a fool, though he was a disciple. Do you get it? That's why you can say you're a Christian today and be a fool on this. The implication is this. Since turmoil accompanies treasure, don't put your ultimate hope in it. It has a role to play in your life, but it's not meant to serve as ultimate security as ultimate source. Don't trust in wealth over God. Instead, if you are going to use your time to invest in something, let it be God's work. You know, all of us, we only have a certain amount of seconds and minutes and hours and days and weeks and months and years left, right? You know that God tells you in Psalm 139 that there is this book and all of the days are numbered and recorded already in this book before you were born. You live in a culture that says, honestly, we're getting to the point that 40 hours is not enough. And I bet you, in those final moments, you're not going to be saying, I really wish I could have put in a couple more hours at Hillsborough County. No, you're not going to be saying that. But then why do we arrange our lives around this idea? Because ultimately, we don't trust God over wealth. Turmoil accompanies treasure, so put your ultimate hope in the best of all things. Let's take a look at Proverbs 8, 10 through 11. Solomon says, Take my instruction, not silver. Knowledge, rather than choice, is gold. Wisdom is better than jewels, and all desirable things cannot compare with her. I love that wisdom is personified as a woman. Because we have a little side note recently on Wednesday nights about just how women just get it faster than men. This also shows that the Bible isn't as negative about women as our culture likes to say. Because wisdom is personified as a lady, not a man. Okay. 
Now you may say, okay, it's easy for Solomon to say, right? He's king, he's rich, but because Solomon was wealthy, he knew the turmoil that came with it. Solomon says, above riches, take God's instruction, take God's knowledge, take God's wisdom above silver, gold, and jewels. Solomon says that none of these things compares with wisdom. Solomon knows this because he has experienced wisdom for himself. Remember when he was a young boy king, he did not ask God for riches. He didn't ask God for power. That's typically what the young do, right? We're impetuous. Well, they are impetuous. See what I did there, right? The question is, do you believe this? Does your heart, your true self, really believe this? It all depends on whether you fear God or not. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fearing God means that his presence and his promises on whatever topic, how you do your marriage, how you raise your kids, how you do family, how you do work, how you do wealth, whatever it is, Fearing God means that his presence and his promises isn't an obstacle. It isn't a hindrance. It's the way to a satisfying life. The wise believe this and the fool rejects this. Life is bitter, better, bitter, maybe bitter too. Life is better with a little wealth and the fear of the Lord than great wealth and you reject God. God's presence and promises are the greatest sign of security, not wealth. Now, Proverbs 18, verses 10 through 11. Solomon says that, this brings me back to my youth group days right here. Blessed be the name of the Lord, right? The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. And like a high wall, in his own imagination. This proverb is filled with visuals, right? It's intentional. These visuals are all about safety and security, right? In ancient times, the development of a city, which you and I take for granted today, the development of a city in the history of humanity depended on a couple things. An ancient city needed a high wall. A high wall defined insiders and outsiders. High walls provided protection so that people in the city could sleep at night. High walls kept predators out so that lion wouldn't creep in and just eat people. High walls provided a barrier against thieves and robbers. The higher and the thicker the wall... The thought is, the greater the security and the greater the safety. Ancient cities also needed towers for their security. A tower was used to provide a lookout. You're reading through the Old Testament, you're like, why do they describe things so much? But if you would kind of get through that a little bit, you'd describe how many towers were in Jerusalem. It's crazy how many towers there were. Why? Because Jerusalem would put people on the top of those towers for watching, looking out 
for the city. Because if you, the higher up you get, the further out you could see. And then you can see if anybody is advancing to give the precious people in the city time. Time for what? Solomon says to run into that strong tower to be safe. Because the precious and the vulnerable could run to this tower while the army fought and protected and defended them outside the tower. Do you see that? you got to ask, what do walls and towers of a city have to do with God and wealth, right? Though you are not a city builder, you are a life builder, right? You want to build a life for yourself. Though you are not a city builder, you are building walls and building towers in your life. And you are going to trust in whatever you consider to be your highest wall. You are going to trust in whatever you consider to be your strongest tower. Right? That's human of us. The temptation is for a person to put their ultimate trust in wealth as their high wall, their strong tower over God. When a rich man puts ultimate trust in wealth over God, it makes him a fool. And what is foolish about trusting in riches over God is that there is not a high enough wall. There is not a strong enough tower to secure you through all adversity. You realize that, right? I would consider my grandfather no, to be, yes, a true financially secure man in his life. And he spent the final years of his life in the fetal position in his bed, and money could do nothing. The thing about wealth is that it cannot scale all high walls or climb every tower. It can't be that for you. There will always be an adversity to which money cannot shield you from. That is why trusting in wealth over God makes you a fool. Solomon says, actually, that the rich man's mind is delusional. I mean, do you see that? I mean, I'm using delusional. He uses his own imagination. You see that? The rich man imagines that life is just so simple that just more money equals more security. Jesus illustrates this with the rich young ruler, doesn't he? Let's think about the rich young ruler for a moment. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he asks a question. What, what can I do? to inherit eternal life. Even the question shows that he thinks he builds his own walls and builds his own towers, right? The rich young ruler tells Jesus, you know what? I have followed everything you have told me, every commandment, everything in our religion, everything in our culture. I've done it since I was a kid. And Jesus calls this rich young ruler, like, come follow me. Come follow me. But to follow Jesus, as you know, I think all of you have experienced this. To follow Jesus, Jesus is going to cut right through your heart to its core, right? He's going to leave you raw and open, right? Emotionally, spiritually, so that he can reveal what you really trust in. Though the rich young ruler kept all of these commandments out of obedience, his heart was not in it. He was a good guy, but he was a fool. 
He was a Jew, ethnically and religiously, but he was a fool. His heart looked to God. Sorry. His heart looked to wealth over God's word. And Jesus told the rich young ruler, okay, sell all your possessions, give it to the poor, leave it, and come follow me. And does the rich young ruler do this? No. He does not follow Jesus. The gospel writers tell us that the rich young ruler walked away with grief in his heart. Why? Because at the center of his heart, at the center of his life, wasn't a strong tower called the Lord but a weak tower called wealth. The rich young ruler's strongest tower and highest wall was not God, but wealth, even though he obeyed God's word. To be a Christian, in contrast, means that you're growing. You're building God into your city. You're putting, you're laying more bricks on that high wall, and every brick is God's word. You're building another level in that strong tower, and it's called the name of the Lord. Solomon says, better is a little with the fear of the Lord. Solomon says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower, that you can run to the name of Jesus for safety and security. Ancient peoples trusted in their high walls when invasions pressed. Ancient people ran to their towers to protect them from threats. But Christians run to something else. As a Christian, you are going to experience adversity. In all your adversity, in all of your adversity, Jesus is your highest wall. Jesus is your strongest tower. Because Jesus was invaded. Jesus was sacked. Jesus was destroyed for your ultimate safety, for your ultimate security, for your salvation, and for your resurrection. God's presence and promises in Jesus are the greatest signs of security, not wealth. So you and I, as Christians in America, we need to stop living like wealth is our high wall and our strong tower. It is a figment of your imagination. To believe that wealth can make you truly secure and truly comfortable in this life. And to drive the point home, Solomon tells us in our last proverb, the end for the fool and for the wise. Proverbs eleven twenty eight. He who trusts in his riches will fall. Pretty clear. Contrast. The righteous will flourish like the green leaf. Trust in riches over your Redeemer, and you will fall. That is a future promise for you. Normally we look at the future positive promises, but this is a future negative promise. Do you see it? They will fall. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be next year. But they will fall. This is a guaranteed certainty. The end for all who trust in wealth over God and his word is devastation. But there's another promise that's embedded here. Is there not? Trust in your redeemer over your riches. Trust in God's word over wealth and you will flourish. And I'm not quite sure about where your soul is at. But I know my soul needs this right now. Right? Does yours? 
we need to understand Jesus. What do you mean by flourish? How is this secured? What does this look like? We're going there in application. Solomon says that you will flourish like a green leaf. So therefore, wealth is not a sign of security. Fearing God is the sign of security. Jesus once said, foxes have holes and birds have nests. The Son of Man, the King of the world, the universe, has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus became poor. Jesus was devastated so you can be rich, so you can be secure. So true riches, true treasure, therefore, is knowing, loving, and living for Jesus. Now we're going to shift to see what this means, what it looks like to flourish by fearing God. This is our application. You and I must delight in God's word over wealth to truly flourish. Do you see that the rich young ruler did it all? One thing was the obstacle, and he walks away from God grieving. To truly delight in God's word over wealth, we have to figure out in our application. So let's turn to the wisdom of Solomon's dad, David of Bethlehem, whose family was just shepherds, and he was the youngest of his family, to help us understand what it means that fearing God leads to flourishing. Solomon says that those who fear God will flourish. So how does a Christian, how do you and I today, how do we reject this temptation in our culture to trust in wealth as our high wall and our strong tower? The answer is to put Jesus into your heart by, meaning putting him into your life, by putting his word constantly in front of your eyes. Let's see Solomon's dad say it. Psalm 1. Verses 1 through 3. He says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Contrast. But his delight isn't in those things. It is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. Conclusion. He will be, that's a future promise, like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. Amen? So what's David's answer? What do you see, church? First, you have to reject the call of the culture that you're living in. Right? Christians a thousand years ago faced a different set of challenges from their culture than you do. I do believe we have it worse. Just technology alone challenges you to never put your eyes on God's word. You have to put your eyes on God's word if you're going to be a Christian. You have to in some capacity. So first, you have to reject the call of culture. There are many people in your life here in America who will say that being a Christian is foolish, even if they go to church. I've heard so many times where people have told me that God told them to stop coming to church, to stop serving in church. Like that's a barrier, an obstacle, or a hindrance to what their life should be. Fearing God is knowing that his presence and promises aren't the obstacle 
It's not the hindrance. In fact, you are, or that person in your life. There are many people in your life that will present a different path than walking with Jesus every day. You know, describe that hand-holding with Tisa and I, where we get to talk to each other and listen to each other. It's too hot for us to do it right now. I've kind of lament that. Can't wait to do it again. There are many people in your life that will sit down and they will scoff at the Christian life. Always have some justification, some excuse, some argument against the Christian life. David says, don't walk in their counsel. You see it? Don't stand in their path. Don't sit in their seats. And this has great application for our lives as we talk about wealth, withering, and flourishing. Right? Some good application. America will call you a fool if you say, I trust in Jesus Christ over wealth. But in fact, in reality, they are the fool. For the time being, this American form of currency still says, in God we trust. I mean, do you see it? For the time being, it says, in God we trust. We have to remember that when the founders of this country decided to put this phrase on its currency, they were not historically thinking about Allah. They were not thinking about Buddha. They were not thinking about Vishnu or the other pantheon of Hindu gods. And they weren't thinking about the Greco-Roman gods. They were thinking about our God. The beauty of this currency is that it's an ever-present reminder. Don't trust in me. I got my offering check. I got two of these in here. And it's an ever-present reminder. Do not trust in me. Right? And you know my paycheck was like this big on Friday. Three days of employment. This piece of paper cannot provide more security than the God who created all things, than the God who created all trees, than the God who created the tree that provided the wooden beams that Jesus would shoulder and be crucified on. So what does it mean to trust God over wealth? What does it look like? It means that you delight in God, that you enjoy God, more than you enjoy wealth. That you can just give it away and still be happy in this life. You and I were created by God to enjoy God. Our chief end is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. You know, church attendance, church service doesn't glorify God best. It can, but not just because you do it. The best way to glorify God is to enjoy God, right? God gives greater security, greater happiness than riches, but the fool resents this idea. They resent it and they reject it. So how do you move towards trusting God more than trusting wealth? Because you and I live in a world where it is expected of us to spend most of our working hours, most of our waking hours, doing things to earn money. 
most things in this life has a heavy price tag, right? I am lamenting this idea that filet is becoming more and more expensive. Heavy price tag. It's like I started going to the grocery store again with Tisa this summer, and I was blown away. So I wasn't working for Hillsborough County, so she let me out, you know? <laughs> I went to the grocery store with her, and I'm blown away. A box of cereal. Most things in this life has a heavy price tag, but you know what? Christianity also has a heavy price tag. There is a heavy price to pay for a human to be at peace with the God who created them, the God that they are alienated from. And there is no amount of work, there is no amount of wealth that you can expend, that you can give to expect peace from God. Trusting God over wealth means that in part that you've had this experience. You've had the experience of knowing there's no amounts of work. There's no amounts of money. There's no amounts of wealth that can earn you this peace with God, that can make you feel better about your standing with God. Trusting God means trusting Jesus to be the only one who can provide this peace with his Father. Yes, Christianity has a hefty price tag, and you didn't pay it. Jesus took on flesh to pay the price that you could not. And Jesus did this by taking on the cost, by taking on the punishment for all that you have ever done, for all that you have ever experienced. Jesus did this by taking on the effects of what your sins would do to you in the final days and what your sorrows would do to you if there were no God. Trust God over wealth. You need to put his word in front of you. And Solomon's dad says this looks like meditating on God's word night and day. Do you see that? Here, please do not think about Eastern mysticism, Eastern religion. Eastern religion meditates, they say. Their meditation is an emptying of their mind. Here's why. They believe life isn't, you know, all the time on Gather, I do a timeline, a start and an end. They don't believe that life is a timeline. Life is a circle. Life is a wheel. It's endless. Just keep doing it over and over and over again. And the point of life is to get rid of life. So it doesn't matter if it's nirvana of the Buddhists. It's about emptying yourself. Meditation helps you do this. But Christian meditation is not the meditation of Eastern religion. Whereas they meditate to empty themselves, Christians meditate to fill themselves. You see the difference? Christianity is not Hinduism, nor Buddhism, nor Taoism. You are to fill your mind and your heart with Scripture. So this means to grow in your trust of God over wealth, you must. There's no exception. You have to fill your mind. you got to fill your heart with Scripture about the promises of God over wealth because you are never going to enjoy and delight in Scripture over wealth if you aren't regularly filling your mind and your heart with it. You get that? Eventually, if I don't keep eating filet, I'm going to forget how it cuts like butter. 
going to forget. So what does it look like to meditate on God's word? I want to walk us really quick practically in how this could look like with another verse from the New Testament from the Apostle Paul. This is 1 Timothy chapter 6. I pulled it because ironically, as I was preparing for this week's sermons and the daily reading that we're going through this year, we're in the Timothys. So I was like, this is great, great application. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. Paul tells the pastor who would replace him to instruct those who are rich in this, present, in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, be ready to share, storing up for themselves a treasure of a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Americans are richer than 90% of the world. Even our lower class. You have a home. You have at least one vehicle in your life. You have multiple screens and devices of entertainment. How many screens do you have at your fingertips? I don't mean literally right now. But how many? Ten, maybe? collectively in your house? Six, you already know? You counted it up? You're rich. Do you get it? 90% of this world looks at you, looks at this church, says, you're rich. You don't think so. I know you don't. I know you're rejecting this idea because you haven't gotten outside of America because we don't have a missionary heart in this church. You got to get outside of America to be convinced of this. Paul tells you, fix your hope not on the uncertainty of riches, but on the certainty of God. Paul wants you to think about the truth that it's God who richly supplies you with all things to enjoy. It's God, not you. He's the tower, you're not. And as a response, Paul wants you, the church, to do good, to be rich in good works. Paul wants you to be generous to be ever ready to share what God has given to you. Because that is one of the reasons why God has given that to you. So for me, the hardest offering of the calendar year is the first paycheck when I go back to church. I'm going to go back to work and church. Hard for me here too. And it's getting dropped, right? Because our hope should not be fixed on the uncertainty of wealth but on the certainty of God. And you'll see God take care of me. You'll see. These are the things that those who fear God will fill their hearts and minds with. Texts like 1 Timothy 6. But you've got to read it to begin to apply it, see how it fits, right? Those who fear God fix their hope on his certainty that all that we have is from him. We are to use these things to do good, to be generous, to be ready to share, to grow in your trust in God over wealth. Put yourself in a position, in a routine, where you get to read God's word for yourself. You put it in front of your eyeballs. Ask God to change your heart while you do this. Change my heart, God, as I read 1 Tim 6, to delight in and to enjoy your son which will lead me to enjoy your word. You know, Jesus is the key for you to be able to say, my hope is in God and not in my riches. There's no Jesus. There's no basis for this. He's a God who delays, if not. 
then you must create a routine of fitting your life into what you are reading and hearing in Scripture. This is what it means to flourish, to be that tree planted by streams of water, to be evergreen, to be that green leaf. This is it. Life is complex. Therefore, we are going to believe as heritage Christians that just because somebody is wealthy doesn't mean they're flourishing, okay? So we don't need to look up. If you think you're low class, you don't need to look up to the middle class. You need to look up to the upper class. And likewise, just because someone isn't wealthy doesn't mean they're not flourishing. Therefore, if you consider yourself higher class, you don't look down on the middle class and the lower class. And if you consider yourself a middle class, you don't look down on the lower class. Man, this sounds liberal today, doesn't it? Sounds pretty progressive. Because as Christians, we shouldn't be right or left. We should be able to anger both camps, right? God's word is better at securing your life than wealth. Amen? We pray, Holy Spirit, make it so. We believe, help our unbelief. Our spirit is willing, our flesh is weak, right? The greatest gauge of our success and security isn't gaining wealth, but gaining God. And we get to gain God because of what Jesus did for us. Jesus became poor. King who became pauper. His body was devastated to secure this for you eternally. Life is not an endless wheel of birth and rebirth. It has a beginning, and it does have an end, and then forevermore. And it goes on and on. And Jesus secured this for you. Wealth will only give you the temporary illusion that life is good. God's word will fulfill you better than wealth. It creates fruits in you that will last longer than temporary wealth. All things rot and all things spoil, except for God's word and God's promises. So Heritage, what are you going to trust in today? What are you going to lean on? On God's word or wealth? One is a strong tower and the other is an illusion.